Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And Young Me is in another room that's different <laughs> from another her usual room. Locale. I'm cracking up because I don't know. I- I'm sure that Alex, our wonderful video editor, is going to edit this out. My mom is standing in, the, in my video. She's just standing in frame, like not moving. <laughs> I know Alex is going to cut this out, but maybe she will. My mom's just been standing in the frame for like the last five minutes. And I'm just looking at her like, what's happening? Are you... <laughs> she was just standing like staring at it. I know you uh, you two can't see because she's out of the frame of the computer, yeah. but she's in the frame of my iPhone video. Okay. she's mo- <laughs> She moved now, but in- I hope well, Alex keeps love that Love a good in. celebrity <laughs> appearance. <laughs> Okay. Okay, my mom's leaving now. Yeah, I'm in a I'm in a hotel room that I'm sharing with my mom and my son, so um there might be a few noises just to apologize in advance, but I'm on Saipan right now, Brian. Yet an, a, wow. another new location for yeah, me. Yeah, you're <laughs> basically Carmen San Diego, but the pink-haired Asian version of that. And you only yeah, so travel everyone... to remote Asian destinations. So, coming yeah, to us live from Micronesia. Hair. Live from Saipan, which I don't think a lot of people have said that. I think you, you may know. be the first podcaster to ever step foot in Saipan. Maybe. Ever. Oh, no. No, I'm, I'm sure there's at least 8,500 8, podcasters on Saipan. Cause... I know. It, it's an invasive species. You know, in New York, they have lantern. <laughs> they have lantern flies and they show a photo and they say, please kill these if they if you see it in saipan it's like if you see a person carrying a microphone (laughs) please report them to the police (laughs) yes oh Um, gosh i was hiding my equipment in the airport on the way over here they're like not another one another podcaster um yeah what is your reason for travel Uh, uh, smuggling drugs. I, mean, I didn't want to. They're like, that's better. As as long as you're not a podcaster, you're allowed. Thank you for yeah. tuning in from Micronesia. This is uh, putting your this is putting your phone's hotspot to the test. <laughs> yeah, it's using a lot of data. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, listeners, you heard it here. It's using a lot of data, and data requires money. So, support the podcast on Patreon. There you <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, there you go. I am gonna have um, a huge phone bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm super excited for our guest this week, Young Me, and I'm sure our listeners are too, oh. because yes. they know how to read. They already know who's on the podcast. I'm sure they've already seen our special guest's Instagram account with the most beautiful food photography. I I'm I don't want that to be reductive. It's just beautiful art. And his medium yes. is food. Let's frame Truly it like it's that. Truly, it's art. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go right ahead and introduce them. You're in for a treat. Our guest this week is a food blogger and now cookbook author because they have a forthcoming cookbook titled First Generation. Listeners, give your ears to Frankie Gaw. Hi. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello, hello. Frankie, you look like you're in the most beautiful location. Where where are you right now? <laughs> I am currently in Seattle. I'm in my backyard. Um, I was mentioning earlier that my boyfriend 
talks very loud, so that's why I've been banished <laughs> to the outside. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but it's not bad out here. Um, it's quite lovely today. It's not gray and rainy, so um, nice. so yeah, I'm in my backyard. Wow. What a what? twenty! What a modern twenty twenty two problem of like I have a stand up <laughs> meeting, so one of us is gonna have to go outside to record the <laughs> yeah to, oh, to do our other thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, like a, uh, who's bit? No, I was Brian. I thought you were gonna say what a twenty twenty two meeting that we're having. Like we're all over the world calling in. But, it's very yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, it's very true, and. Uh, yeah, let's make this a game for our YouTube, people viewing on YouTube. Uh, where would you want to be based on the background of our respective <laughs> locations alone? <laughs> and I think there's a, a very clear winner between the three of us. <laughs> I have to say Brian's neighborhood is cute and his house, where he lives is cute, but I feel like his recording area is just dungeony. <laughs> hey... You know the trope of us. You know how artists, oftentimes their studios are very messy. It's an organized chaos, but the art we create is very beautiful. And in this case, and in this analogy, the art is this podcast that you're listening to. (laughs) 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 Oh, for what it's worth, I feel like your your space looks lovely. I mean, you got books, you have good lighting. Oh, thank you, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Frankie. Thank you for joining us from beautiful Seattle. Uh, we're very excited yeah, to have you on the me. podcast. And I, I'm sure, I don't know if you're aware, but we like to kick things off by asking each other how we're feeling. So, young me, how are you feeling? Oh, my God. Um, God, I feel, I feel, I mean, I feel a lot of emotions. My mom just stepped out of the room. But, like, you know, I'm on this trip. I came back to Korea to visit my parents, Frankie, and then because my parents live in Korea. But then for a large portion of my childhood, I lived on this island, Saipan, where I'm at right now. And my parents, um, you know, and it's like I always I'm very open about this, but I've had like I feel like I've had like a rough childhood and there are things that I went through. And um, it feels weird saying that because I feel like it's not really much more than a quote unquote typical childhood you know there's hard parts to it and as an adult it's like sort of hard to revisit but I feel like coming back to this very remote island where I spent Mm. 10 years of my childhood is bringing back all these like memories and things that you know I kind of forgot like just I mean obviously intellectually I remember everything but like it's like taking me back to a place viscerally, right? Like the smells Um, and the, like my body's in the same place. And um, so it's like, it's like bringing up a lot of like intense feelings. Mm. And then I was really upset yesterday and then I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized that the night before my mom was like talking about something really traumatic that happened to me as a teenager. And she was joking about it with her friends. Mm. And I was like, and I just sort of like overheard them. And then I was like, haha, I guess that's funny. And then the next morning I was like crying in the bathroom. Oh. It only took, you know, like 10 hours for me to cry in the bathroom <laughs> vacationing with my mom. But um, so I was crying in the bathroom and I was like, why am I so upset? And then I, and then I remembered that like conversation that I overheard. And I was like, that is kind of like messed up, you know, for my mom to have said that like and mm. joked about that. 
And so now I'm like, I feel like I should say something um, about it, but I don't, I don't know when, well, like, when is that going to happen between the snorkeling and the <laughs> banana boat ride? Like, when are we going to do that? You know, <laughs> we, we, we have a buffet, we got a continental buffet breakfast at 9.30 a.m. And then we're going on the banana boat. I don't know. The jet skis. <laughs> on the, it's going to happen on the jet skis, like Mariah Carey style. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> so that's how I'm feeling. Very emotional and stuff like that. Um, but that that's about it. How, how about you, Brian? How are you feeling? <laughs> Damn. Well, first, uh, sorry to hear that you're going through all of this. I imagine it's... <laughs> I mean, it must be odd being in such a beautiful place, but it it, it is uh, home to some harder memories and experiences, you know? Like, yeah, I was feel. Yeah, I was thinking that it's right. so beautiful, and I'm it's like, like <laughs> the sound of the ocean waves <laughs> breaking on the rocks reminds me of when my mom hit me with the bamboo stick. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> <laughs> Takes me back. Poetic <laughs> poetry. Oh god! Yeah, and it's so beautiful here. Oh, Mino and I were swimming in the ocean, and mm -hmm. uh, there was nobody else in the. It's a, such a paradise out here, and we're swimming in the ocean. And I had a little gold earring, and when I came out of the ocean, I was like, "Oh no, I lost my earring!" But who cares? Whatever. And then I was like talking to Mino, and I was like, "You know, this the ocean is our mother. You know, she gives us so much, but she takes a little piece away." And I was like, "Yeah, metaphor alert." <laughs> <laughs> Just, I sort of thought being in this like locale makes you really poetic. I feel like metaphor alert. I think uh, we have the title of our podcast episode right there. Boom, metaphor bangers alert. only on this episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how am I feeling? I am feeling. Uh, I'm just been. <laughs> so I went to the U.S. Open uh nice couple days ago and i've just been in a tennis crazy filled frenzy right now um yeah it's it's my first love and i i just i'm so passionate about it and i'm just really happy right now because i get to watch so much tennis <laughs> as simple <laughs> as like as himbo and simple as it sounds um but yeah like i I was really, really happy and excited because I got to go to the U.S. Open, which is like a really fun annual uh, tradition that I've sort of made for myself. And mm. uh, right now I am currently reading Andre Agassi's biography, which is a titled <laughs> Open. And nice. um, yeah, I mean, to go off of another episode, like I, this episode, so I'm currently in the midst of, and I'm sure you can chime in on this, Frankie, when we uh, learn a little bit mm -hmm. more about your career is uh, I'm, you know, I'm looking into like, I'm open to the idea of like career pivots and like, what are other things that I can do outside of this frenetic creative pursuit and search yeah. of something more stable and uh, when I see these tennis players and just go back to my experiences of playing tennis, like I feel that I, I, that was so pure and I was a kid and like, that's what I just wanted to do. And that's how I know, like, I'm really passionate or love something. It's like, okay, does this feel like the way it felt when I was 10, like playing tennis, just mm. like pure, unfiltered, 
I don't need any outside exterior motivation to do this thing because I I purely mm-hmm. love it. And mm-hmm. uh, I think in terms of like in in search of like other avenues or other pursuits or other things that I could do, I'm sort of trying to f- discover all of that of like, okay, mm-hmm. well, what else is out there for me? You know, like I feel. I made a dist- like a, I made this compromise of like okay a, a professional tennis career isn't in the cards for me so you have to like let mm-hmm. that go because athletics is like it's in it's 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 so so difficult so it's like pretty self evident from a young age whether or not it's viable for you and mm-hmm. yeah so that's just how I'm feeling I guess I'm I'm very happy because it's uh, an exciting time for the sport of tennis right now and I'm. I'm really happy that I get to see so much of it on television and follow it, but it also brings back like where I'm at in life right now and in pursuit of other passions, like how do I replicate the magic of like Mm. playing tennis, you know? So that's how I'm feeling. Um, Well, yeah. Wait, so did you like, sorry, Brian, did you like not pursue tennis because you felt like the lifestyle was too hard? Is that like, no, my dad, my dad wasn't very supportive of it. And I understand oh. his concerns. Yeah, like Right. Yeah, like mm. a lot of my coaches were encouraging my parents to uh pursue it in earnest. Um but mm. it's a hard thing, you know. And I don't I don't hold it against him. My dad was just like, "What are you going to do with that?" Like it's just so difficult to be the top of a sport and like the risk is so high that Mm. you can always keep it as a hobby or a passionate hobby but to make it your profession that's an entirely different ball game unto itself and i i totally understand like if i had a kid it's like okay you know you love this thing but you want to ensure that you're at the end of the day you want them to be able to like survive on their own and uh set set them up with the right resources and instruments to like make sure that they're going to be okay and i think with Anything in athletics, it's like a very risky, like all or nothing thing. That's interesting, though, when you said like, oh, if you're not going to be the very best or the very top, why would you do it? I feel like that's just a very interesting way to think about that. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty black and white, but I guess I don't know. My parents view things that way. I think I'm very similar too, where. Uh, mm. I, I have a tendency to be very black mm. and white when it comes to those sorts of matters of like, if I'm going to do mm. something in earnest, then I should want to pursue to be the best at it. Cause what, what's the point of doing it at all? I mean, I think, mm. I don't know, Brian, the fact that you love it and you're pat and it's like your favorite thing. That's, that's the point of doing it. Isn't it? <laughs> no, I still love Sorry it. Of course. To be- yeah. No, 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 no. Of course, I want. That's yeah. what I wanted for myself, you know. But right. Um. That's sad. Yeah. It's not. I don't know. I, I'm not the only person who's encountered sad. this conundrum. It's uh. It's okay. very. It's very real. I think it's. You know, and it's not like my parents' decision for this panned out like how they planned for. Because then I just ended up like a weed that grows sideways. I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna do comedy. <laughs> just this this very safe yeah. fallback <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i yeah i mean i i feel like i sound sad but it sounds like you also agreed with their decision but um yeah i'm glad that you're doing the tennis thing and i'm and i'm glad that you brought that up because you know i think people uh 
I don't know. Like sometimes I'm just like happiness is so it's fleeting and it's like people think it's so profound. But sometimes it's just like I love tennis and I'm going to the U.S. Open. This is fucking amazing. You know, like (laughs) that's great. I'm like, yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, this this is all theoretical at this point, but uh, it is, you know, when 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 your passion does become your livelihood and your primary source of income, like. I'm encountering it with Andre Agassi. Like he fucking hated tennis because his dad forced him into it. What? But he was just so talented and gifted. Interesting. But I don't think it's that uncommon. That's why, like, sometimes, like, when you keep things a hobby and for yourself, like, it's pure and you can enjoy it for what it is. But then when you become reliant, like, the stakes become so much higher. There's money tied to it. Like, it just starts to feel like a job. So, and that and that's so fascinating. and that's what I think babe, yeah. that's why I love it so much because it is just purely a, a hobby that I can uh, it's for my own for myself, you know. Yeah. That's but, fascinating. Yeah, enough about me. Frankie, how are you feeling? How am I feeling? I'm feeling honestly, I'm feeling like slight like you know when I'm feeling slightly nervous, I would say, mm. because I feel like I'm not like I'm not the best at talking about my feelings in this podcast. It's about talking about your feelings. And so (laughs) I have that like sense of like, it's kind of like the feeling of like, when you know you're about to talk to your therapist and you know stuff is going to come up, but you don't know what's going to come up. (laughs) Like that's kind of the feeling I have. Uh, But I'm also excited. I feel like I'm excited to, um, to chat and I'm excited to, to talk about things and, um, I'm also feeling, I feel like I'm a generally anxious person and I'm not feeling that anxious today. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. So I'm feeling a good sense of like, um, calm about that, which is nice. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's how I'm feeling. (laughs) Well, if I just want you to know that I feel like, yeah, we're, it's called feeling Asian, but obviously the guests, we want you to feel comfortable most of yeah, all so yeah. it's like whatever yeah whatever you want to share and also i want to say that that was actually really great you're like we were like how are you feeling you were like i'm feeling nervous because i don't want to share my feelings and i was like that's yeah. exactly <laughs> how you're feeling <laughs> off to a great start <laughs> yeah but honestly i'm like i'm okay with it like i'm okay yeah. with the feel the, that feeling because i don't know i feel like just in general i've always found that when i'm like th- when i throw myself in like super uncomfortable situations at least at the like at the forefront, like it always ends up being okay on the other side. And I always end up like not regretting it at all and actually like enjoying it. So I'm like, right. I've been, I feel like in the last like few years, for sure, I've been like, I'm just going to say yes to things that I would normally say no to. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I feel okay, which is good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've adopted that uh recently too i'm a bit of a homebody and i'm very introverted and yeah. so i naturally Same. would like try to find excuses to not attend things uh mm. but uh off- it's rooted in anxiety and i found that like the more and more i've put myself like challenged myself to put myself in uncomfortable positions it's never real. it's never that bad like once you come out the other yeah, side of totally. it totally yeah yeah so i, I really totally. relate to that um but yeah, you know, if it makes you feel better, Young Me and I are not licensed therapists, so <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're all navigating. Nothing it we say matters. Yeah, <laughs> we're all on the same page.
I'm really excited to have you on this podcast because uh, I think you might be able to uh, speak to this whole notion of career pivots or following your passions yeah. a bit yes. because, um, you know, I've, I was introduced to you through your Instagram and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your delectable, appetizing food <laughs> art, your, 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 these wonderful, you. uh, <laughs> this, ama- this just amazing, amazing photographs of your recipes. But you have a, uh, you know, you have a pretty unconventional start in food writing mm-hmm. and recipe development because you know just like a cursory linkedin search revealed that you've <laughs> you've worked in tech for most of your professional yeah. career like can you yeah. just tell us more about how that all came to be and what are some of the pros and cons of like doing recipe development and food writing like independently up until now yeah i mean i've been yeah it's funny because i only quit my previous like job like only two years ago so yeah the pivot's still pretty fresh at least in my head but um yeah i was in tech as a um designer so i did like ux design so i would um so i worked at facebook right out of school and then i went to airbnb and i was doing like mobile app design so i was like designing like the nav or like the user interface or like how people engage with things and um yeah, like I was just kind of like, I was kind of in the grind for a while. And I think for me, I was, I think in my head, I thought, oh, I want to be like a successful designer, like in tech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that was what I defined as like, this is what making it means. Yeah. And as I like started like achieving certain goals within like that mindset, I think I just started realizing I'm like, oh, like, I don't know if this is actually what I want to be doing. Right. Um, so I think I started to realize that, um, yeah, like that, like these goals almost, I think I was saying these goals were my goals, but really they felt like what other people expected of me. Right. I think right. some of that comes from like, you know, mm-hmm. I was an only child of like immigrant parents. So like, you know, I think I defined success as being, you know, the most successful tech person and like wanting to kind of um i don't know achieve the dreams that i feel like my parents had so mm-hmm. so I, yeah i was like in tech for a long time and it wasn't until probably like maybe three or four years ago so um it's funny like i my my dad he was diagnosed with cancer not to get like super deep so quickly <laughs> but um oh, my please. dad was diagnosed with cancer when i was um like 22 so i was like mm. pretty much at like the height of my career like i was mm-hmm. um i was working on this feature called um facebook live which mm-hmm. at the time would end up becoming instagram live and like all the right um mm. all the yeah like all the live video stuff that kind of exists today so um in my head I was like you know I was like at the tippy top I was like that was almost like my identity I was like oh I'm doing so great like I'm designing Mm -hmm. these like really public facing features and then when Mm -hmm. my dad was diagnosed um it kind of like threw me for a loop because I was like um I was having all the success but then also like going through this like crazy trauma in terms of like Mm -hmm. dealing with grief and figuring out what does this mean for my life and um i like really i remember this like really specific moment where um when my dad was in hospice mm-hmm. um a lot of his coworkers started coming because he worked at um uh 
P&G, which is like they make like Tide Pods and Bounty. Yeah. Um, and he had worked there for like 30 years. And I remember all his coworkers coming into his like his bed and mm. um, like none of them really talked about like the work he did. Like mm. They weren't like, oh, my God, like, you know, um, I'm so sad you're gone because like of all the patents you've you know yeah. filed mm. <laughs> like it was always about like they always talked about oh like like when they would come up to me they would be like oh like your dad was always like so kind and like he was such a friend to me and mm-hmm. um i think that that moment really taught me that like a lot of the sh- a lot of the stuff that i cared about like really mm-hmm. didn't matter in the end like mm-hmm. you know my dad was at the end of his life and like n- no one was talking about all his achievements and work or like um all yeah. the his title or anything like they were talking about um who he was as a person and how he treated them and so it kind of really like made me think about like my priorities and like what why I cared about the things I cared about so that was kind of like for me at least mentally it was like the pivot of like okay what do I actually care about and like what is my um yeah like what should I do with my life because like right you know none of this stuff really matters so um yeah and so i was kind of like yeah so i was like working in tech as like i was going through all these feelings Mm. um and i remember like i i've always like loved food like food has always just been a part of like my identity um and i remember i remember actually um i was like on i think i was just like browsing um like my Facebook feed or something at work. Like I wasn't really like doing yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, and I remember stumbling upon this article. Um, it was from this guy who I think you've had on your podcast. His name is Eric Kim. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. And so he, he used to have a column called Table for One. And it was oh, like yeah. about him being single and like cooking for himself. And it was on, um, I remember it was on like Food 52. And I was just, I remember reading it and being like, who is this guy? And mm-hmm. um, I was like reading through his stories and his um, articles. And I was just like, like for the first time, I was like, oh my God, like, I feel like I actually have, um, like, I feel represented in like, mm-hmm. and it almost like made me feel like I actually had something to say or something yeah. to like, to tell for the first time, because I feel like, I don't know, growing up in the Midwest, like you're, at least I was surrounded by people who didn't look like me. And so I never really felt like um, my story was something that would be relevant at all. And so I remember specifically, yeah, seeing, seeing Eric's articles, I was like, oh, wow, like, um, he's been able to tie food with his identity. And that to me was like, kind of a big um, turning point. And so, um, yeah, so then that's when I started like looking up, I was like, okay, are there other people like him out there? And um i started um like photographing my food more and cooking Mm. more and um yeah it was like a it was kind of like this big realization and then like a slow pivot so as i was working in tech tech became less about like you know the title and like the way i identified and it was more of a means to end to an end to like to cook and to do food and to like try to figure out what i wanted to do next so um so yeah, that's so that's so how I kind of made that pivot. Wow. So. Wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, that no. was like a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it is, uh, it's so, but it makes a lot of sense because especially yeah. in the world of tech, uh, 
you know, I, I hear about it through my friends who are in the industry. Like it's it's mm-hmm. the it's very clear. Like you work this amount of years, so you get this promotion. So like the steps all yeah. seem pretty linear and laid out for you. Yeah. So I can see how um, you know your title then becomes your identity and your sense of purpose and. That's yeah, how, totally. and, and I feel like if you're in that for a while, like you might just like get lost in that. Um, yeah. I guess what I'm curious is, you know, as someone who was in tech for a very long time, and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you found Eric Kim's writing, and uh, you found mm-hmm. a resonance with your identity and where your ambitions lie. Yeah. It, it seems that you was there any like internal fear or uh, insecurity of like. Okay, you found this disparate field that uh, this person you look mm-hmm. up to and this person who's great. Like, w- did you at all were like feel like, oh, well, I didn't go to culinary school or I don't, I didn't like, I don't have this traditional restaurant yeah. background or this food background. So uh, why would anyone take me seriously? Because I feel like yeah. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, and I naturally yeah, like, go totally. there for, for <laughs> yeah. like for not a good reason. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think I I. I didn't really have that fear when I first started because mm. I didn't think I would actually get anywhere. <laughs> like I just, mm-hmm. I, when I started um, cooking more and, and photographing more and posting on social media, like it was honestly like just to me a hobby. Like I was like, I'm just going to put my time into this thing that mm-hmm. I feel passionate about. But like, right. it was never my goal to like make it into a career, at least at the time when I started, oh. like it was more of just like a baby step. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start cooking and start, you know, exploring and and, and just see what happens. Right. Um, I was never like, I don't know. I, I wasn't like super ambitious about it at the time. Like I knew in my head, I was like, oh, it would be, it'd be so cool to like write a cookbook one day because I think for me, I've as a, like, because I was a designer, I've always loved like visual storytelling. Like that's right. just always mm-hmm. been something I'm passionate about. So yeah. it was always like a bucket list thing, but I never thought in my head, going into it as as like a goal like i'm gonna start this so i can reach this in x amount of years like i really just went in more as just like for myself and to like share with my friends so yeah it's such an interesting like i'm like kind of struggling so you you know you when you're in your tech career and starting off in Mm -hmm. your tech career did you at any point i'm like kind of struggling because Mm -hmm. we're like, were you ever like really into doing tech at all? Or it was just all about like maybe receiving validation from like an outside source? That I think I, I enjoyed aspects of tech. Like mm-hmm. I enjoyed the creative process of being a designer. Yeah. Um, but I think as I started, like, as I was in it longer and longer, I think I, I think I cared like my end goal was always more about um, like how other people perceived me based on my my job, mm. right? Um, like what Brian was saying, like it's just like yeah, the, yeah, like yeah, yeah. But I, I, I mean, so there there are pieces that I did enjoy, I didn't enjoy. Like right. I think I enjoyed right. the creative process, and I enjoyed like the people who I worked with. Mm-hmm. But I think the overarching context of what tech meant to me and like being yeah. in tech was what I think I later realized wasn't right for me. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me how, you know, you're very passionate about visual storytelling and, mm-hmm. like, you know, UI UX is, falls into that category. Um, I guess in the food yeah. side of things, 
Uh, do your family members, are they very passionate about food and plating in the way you are? Uh, are you sort of a black sheep <laughs> in that sense? Yeah. <laughs> I think my, my, my family is just naturally like, um, they've always loved food. Like they all cook. Um, mm. And I think um, like a lot of other, I think, Asian immigrant families, like food has always just been like a part of like our everyday lives. And um I think in terms of like the actual plating and like the more artistic and creative pieces of it, mm -hmm. um, I think that probably comes more just from like how I like to express myself and less of like my grandma used to like style every single dish, like <laughs> a Michelin star restaurant or anything. Uh, um, yeah. But like, I think for me, it's like part of it is like, um, I've always just loved um kind of just like pushing the batteries and finding different creative ways to showcase like a homestyle dish. Um, and I think the other piece of it too was like when I was first photographing everything, like it was at a time when like, um, I felt like food media was very like Eurocentric mm -hmm. and like all these like flashy spreads were for either like Eurocentric centric dishes or it'd be like an Asian dish made by like a white person. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like I never really saw like, you know, the dishes from, you know, my friends or my family, like, represented. So in my head, I was like, oh, like, I have the skill sets to kind of replicate this. Like, what if I just did this myself mm. as a way to kind of, like, I love uh, you know, pass the middleman and just, like, yeah. and see if I can do it and, like, you know, elevate and represent, you know, dishes that a lot of families eat in their kitchen every day that, you know, are super delicious, but I feel like yeah. mainstream food media doesn't really know about, so... You know, I think I think I'm like finding I think what I was finding confusing initially was because I was hearing like you like your passion like for tech mm -hmm. in a way. And then we've had other guests on this podcast who like yeah. were in tech or something else and they hated it and then they switched to yeah. something creative. But what I'm right. realizing is like I didn't realize you were like in tech uh, designing in tech, which you are actually yeah. phenomenal at and you yes. are passionate about. And I think that is like what I can see in your like food work. And mm -hmm. it makes so much sense to me that that's like what you're passionate about because you're like phenomenal at it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to, uh, I kind of want to explore your Midwest upbringing because. Yeah. Um, what's, what's up with that? What was that like? Because <laughs> I, I Tell us about the cream cheese logs. Right. I know. <laughs> like, I think you've mentioned before that it's had somewhat of an impact on your like creative exploration with contemporary Taiwanese dishes. Yeah. I mean, I, so I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, so it's very suburban, Wait, is very that conservative. The, oh, is that considered the Midwest? Oh, I, for some reason, Ohio. Yeah. Seems, yeah. Okay. Was, in Midwest, my head, I Ohio think Ohio. Seems like, <laughs> yeah. For some reason, it seems very, like, yeah. urban to me in my head. I don't know. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> That's <very> amazing. <laughs> they would love hearing <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds continental. Cincinnati. <laughs> oh, Cincinnati. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> that's <so laughs> yeah, funny. no, but I would consider, yeah, Ohio is definitely Midwest. There's a lot of, like, there's some big cities, but it's, like, a lot of cornfields. Like, you drive 10 minutes okay. out of a, of a major city. You're just, yeah, surrounded by fields. But, um, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I grew up in um, Cincinnati. My parents basically moved there because they both were able to get jobs at um, P&G, which is like where they're headquartered. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up there, um, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
I don't know. It's like funny. Like I have like this, um, I would say like a love hate relationship with the Midwest. Like I think part of me, like I remember as a kid, I always would like ask my parents, like, why didn't you like move to California or something or like somewhere that had like, you know, amazing Asians. food and yeah. diverse, Asians. but and Asians, yeah. Asians. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were just like, we just needed to work. And I was like, that's totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, valid. But um, yeah, no, I had um, I had a very like, I would say like suburban conservative upbringing. So um, mm. like my, I lived in like the heart of the suburbs, like very typical mm-hmm. suburbs, you know, like, you know, um, there's like a bunch of like plazas of like McDonald's and Chili's and Applebee's. Like that was very much like my surroundings. Um, oh, same. And nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'd say everyone was pretty much like white in my friend group. Like I never yeah. had any um, Asian friends um, until probably college. So I was, yeah, like usually like in high school, I was like one of three, three Asians um, mm-hmm. out of like, a few thousand so it was something that I think shaped the way I viewed my own identity like I mm-hmm. always either like downplayed my Asianness or like if it was like brought up like I would like play into it but in like mm-hmm. a very like jokey way so yeah. like I felt like in grade school I was always like the funny kid because I was always like joking about mm-hmm. my ethnicity um, yeah or I would just pretend to be white <laughs> like that was it was either one or the other yeah. um so yeah so i grew up <laughs> yeah so i grew up very much in like a suburban neighborhood um my parents put me um into like catholic school in like fourth or fifth grade mm-hmm. um because they wanted me to um have like a religious education <laughs> so mm. and have learned values um so i went to catholic school for a long time and um oh. yeah i felt like my home life was very much like like, I felt like I had split identities, like, at home, like, I spoke Mandarin, like, mm-hmm. my grandma lived with us uh, half half the year, and so we had a lot of um, really good Asian food, but then when I go out into the world, like, with my friends, like, none of that came with me, like, I was very much, like, an American right. kid, like, you know, mm. I enjoyed McDonald's and Taco Bell, and, like, um, and, yeah, so I think I grew up, yeah, very much like a, I don't know, I feel like a lot of Asian immigrant kids have that same experience of like trying to figure out who they are and yeah Yeah. having a split identity and totally and I felt like I never really belonged in either so yeah yeah Yeah. that's that sounds so much like Brian's story I feel like really yeah yeah I feel like I hear Brian talk about very similar things especially the joking (laughs) about your ethnicity yeah oh yeah yeah (sighs) it's rough I heard people laugh and then for better or for worse, I decided then and there that I'm going to become a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just a fleeting moment. Yeah. Um, one thing that I love about your recipes is it seems that you've found a way to infuse like your very interesting Midwest background with your Taiwanese cultural heritage because, yeah. uh, you know, they're yeah. like... Re- it, 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 it's like a t- it's a twist on these classic American dishes. Like some of your recipes are like spaghetti with ginger sauce, or like Cincinnati chili with hand pulled noodles, and lap mm-hmm. chunk so corn good. dogs. All sound yeah. freaking delicious. But that sounds uh, amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are your thoughts about where we're at 
as a whole in terms of like this concept of Asian fusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, back. I'm just kidding. yeah, I, well, it's interesting. I feel like, I feel like the term Asian fusion, like to me is, um, I don't know, like it's, it's kind of like a, I feel like people use it as a catch-all term, which mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, uh, like I, 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 I think the, the, the context of Asian fusion is really interesting. Like I'm really, I feel like I feel really excited to see all these food writers and, and, and stories coming up of people who have these like really disparate backgrounds that they're starting to kind of, um, bring together and kind of mm-hmm. identify and be like, I am this, but I'm also that like, um, like I've met people who are, um, who are born in the South and like, but their family is, um, you know, Chinese. And so they want to write a cookbook that's about like Southern foodways mixed with their Chinese heritage. Like mm. to me, like if that is fusion, like, I think that's really exciting, but I think yeah, just like the term Asian fusion or like, if someone is like, just like using that as a way to just like very lazily describe like yeah. the nuances of what a lot of, um, Asians like the complexities of Asian identities and stories. Like to me, that's yeah. like where I feel like the line is drawn for me. But right, um, I think oh, overall, right. I think it's a really exciting time for um, people who have different identities and different backgrounds and how that's all coming together in both their food and their stories. So I really love how you who you uh, brought that up, because, you know, I think a lot of us that are uh, my age are scarred by the phrase Asian fusion because it was just yeah. like. It was just yeah. h- horrible. Like it was like a tiramisu <laughs> with like pineapples yeah. on top of it or something in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? But like, but what you just said is a totally different thing, and it's a very beautiful, interesting thing. It's like when one person from a s- one type of culture is brought up or like lives in another culture, and then they create this yeah. food that is very unique. And I love stuff like that. Like I think so many people talk about. Um, this is like a very old thing, but like, you know, so many Korean people talk about how much they love like Korean Chinese food, like jajangmyeon or like, mm-hmm. there's yeah. so mm-hmm. many, um, in, like when I've traveled in the world, my, fi- like when I went to like Mexico and I saw like the Mexican Chinese restaurant or, um, or, you know, like a lot of people get really excited about like, uh, Muslim Chinese, it's all, it's always Chinese food, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like Muslim Chinese yeah. food or like, um, like those are the things that really excite me. And like the thing that yeah. you just brought up, like a Korean person that like lives in the South and they're making like yeah. brugogi with, I don't know, like brisket yeah, or like something. Okra or something. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. But this is, that's, that's what I get excited about. Like when, I, so I, you know, I've been on Saipan for two days now and I just want to have yeah. Korean food. Cause it was, my mom was like, I have to go, I have to get Korean food every four hours or I'll shrivel up and die. So we like went to a Korean <laughs> restaurant on Saipan and they had like yeah. one of the kimchi's was um, uh, made from papaya because there's this like traditional dish that's like a Saipan indigenous dish mm-hmm. called koko, which was I think brought over kind of like by the Japanese and like people on Saipan started making it with papaya and then they served it at this Korean restaurant. It was like a papaya koko kimchi. And I was like, I love this, you know, you can only find that here. I love stuff like that. That, Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like, I think the thing that kind of gets me is like when I'm on like Google Maps and I'm like looking up Asian restaurants in a city and like, everything is labeled like Asian fusion, like all these kind of yes. like newer Asian restaurants that are more complex. Like they're just like labeled Asian fusion. But then when you kind of look into it, there's like yeah. 
oh, they're actually like a Korean XYZ or something or right. like indigenous something, something like those are the terms that I want to see, like, you know, at the forefront. And so when it's all kind of just like bundled into one, it kind of reminds yeah. me of when like everyone calls curry curry. But then there's probably there's like a bunch of different types. It's not just curry. So exactly. And um, if you're wanting that's like kind of how I feel curry. about that. term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. that's that's so smart. I'm so glad you brought that up because, yeah, I kind of wish that people were more like, well, I, I guess we're entering into this new chapter of Asian American identities where people will be like, this is like a Korean American diner, you know, mm-hmm. I love it when you mm-hmm. go to an American diner and at the very bottom <gasps> you see like a bibimbap and you're like, oh, damn, I know <laughs> yeah. who owns this place. I know yeah. who owns this diner. That's so it's true. Mr. <laughs> Lee. <laughs> I uh, love that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yo, that's so funny. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean that is such a great point because I've always yeah, when I saw Asian fusion, I immediately would like discredit it. And that's how that was my relationship to just like the uh, the catch-all term of fusion of like, oh, well, mm-hmm. this is probably not this is restaurant's probably not even owned by an Asian person and it's just some like mishmash thing. But uh I like yeah, the, yeah like to Youngmi's point, I think it's great that you um you wanted to you made a distinction with that because it's so reductive mm-hmm. and there's it is yeah. there's there's stories behind all of these like things that get quant that get clumped up into this umbrella term of fusion i mean even yeah like spam yeah like the the introduct like spam in korean food technically yeah. is like fusion but i w- like it wasn't until i was older i was like oh Koreans fuck with spam because this is a byproduct of the Korean War and like the American GIs came yeah. and spam like yeah. rations were low and that's why they brought spam mm-hmm. and then we just remixed and it like and this- now we have pudechige like <laughs> it's awesome yeah and yeah. this spam masubi in Hawaii that's like one of my favorite foods in the fucking world that's amazing. oh so good that's a f- like a quote unquote fusion thing too yeah right those are my fa- now, i'm 100%. realizing that those are literally my favorite foods i love like yeah. when one food gets taken into another arena like that's like all my favorite foods spam masubi jajangmyeon what else you know like that kind of shit mm-hmm. i love that shit it's so exciting to me is it because i'm biracial I'm, i don't know i'm spiraling now never mind <laughs> <laughs> well uh to I know this wasn't on our question list, but now I'm going to go rogue and ask. And, you know, go shout out it. to Eric Kim and his wonderful column, Table yes. for One. So, you know, you have a forthcoming cookbook and everyone go buy it ASAP or pre-order it ASAP. Uh, let's say that you wanted to, one of our listeners is on a date and they're having, having someone over and they want to cook <laughs> for this date and really impress them. What is like a go-to recipe of yours that will really impress Ooh. their date? It's definitely for Brian's <laughs> own personal Ooh. research. <laughs> no, for our listeners. What, what this is make? for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I think a good date recipe in the book is I have a, I forget what the actual name is, but it's like a whole roasted chicken that's been <gasps> brined in scallion and ginger, um, mm. like brine. And then uh, you basically like brine it. So I like it for a date because you can do all the prep the day before. And then the day of the date, all you do is just throw it in the oven. And then you don't have to like stress and like chop things. And you're just literally like put it in the oven. And then you can just like chill and enjoy, you know, the date. But um, it's essentially like, yeah, it's like a whole roasted chicken that you um, you brine in like a blend of scallion and ginger that's like blended in water. 
Mm. Um, and it's also salt. And then that basically gets like absorbed into the chicken. So it gets a little salty, a little gingery. And then when you take it out, you um, then roast it um, with a bunch of like ginger and scallions stuffed into its butt. Ooh. And then nice. it comes out as this like very crispy, like um, it looks all American, but it's all like it's scallions and ginger and all the flavors that like I grew up with, with like my grandma, <laughs> but oh, in, a, nice. in a roast chicken. And um, and then, yeah, you like basically make this simple like chili crisp butter honey sauce that you pour over the top and then you add some Yum. green onions and all you do is just chop it up and then you can serve it with some rice and it's pretty much it so wow it's amazing yeah yeah just I'm uh gonna make that i'm gonna dm you for the for recipe and then i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna cook this for my girlfriend <laughs> and then she's gonna nice. i told you yeah. nice <laughs> secret agenda um, <laughs> um well, uh, we've reached an inflection point in this podcast now where we're going to hit you with some questions about your feelings, but uh, only oh. our Patreon subscribers are going to be able to hear your answers to them. Mm. So if you want to, so listeners, if you want to learn more about Frankie on a deeper level, head over to our Patreon and subscribe at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. You know, unfortunately, we're running low on time and we like to leave all of our uh wonderful guests with this one last question and that is what is something that you're proud of oh um what am i proud of i think i'm proud of i think i'm proud of yeah this book that i'm that's coming out like i feel like i mm. i put a lot of um energy into it and the fact that it's coming out in two months i feel really proud that I've achieved a goal that I feel like I've always wanted to achieve. And yeah. um, I'm also just excited and proud of the fact that like I, um, yeah, like I put in a lot of my own story in it when I feel like normally I'm a very like introverted and like um, walled off person. Like a lot of my friends say I'm really good at deflecting. <laughs> like I always yeah. just ask the question back instead of saying what I feel. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm, yeah, I'm proud that I I've put a lot of like, myself into the book and um yeah i'm just excited to see what happens so i'm so excited for this book i don't know that much about taiwanese food i know that i always hear that they have great like street food and i know about boba mm -hmm. but i feel like i that's like <laughs> one thing i just don't know a lot that much about it oh i know stinky tofu that, yeah. that's like stinky i love tofu. stinky tofu yeah yes and then uh and, that, and now i know about this banging ginger scallion roasted chicken oh, chicken. oh my <laughs> yeah. god yes i can't wait to make that um, <laughs> yeah but for our listeners where can they uh, pre-order your book yeah they can pre-order um basically anywhere books are sold so like amazon barnes and noble any of those like big retailers they can also pre-order on um bookshop.org if they want to support like a indie bookstore nice um but yeah pretty much anywhere so Great. beautiful and the book is titled first generation so everyone go pre-order it right now and yeah. uh where can they find you online frankie uh they can find me on uh my handle on instagram is little fat boy frankie <laughs> and my blog is littlefatboy.com so <laughs> yeah find me there <laughs> littlefatboy.com yeah can we uh how about you brian well, where I want to. Where can our listeners find you, Brian? 
<laughs> Wait, where? What's the uh, story behind Little Fat Boy? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it's funny. Yes, my like, I went to the bank, and the that. banker, the banker was like, "Why is it? Why is your business Little Fat Boy?" But um, no, it was my um, in Chinese, like the term, like fat. There's like a term for fat that's like almost like an endearing term. It's like a positive. Um, so like in Chinese, my, my nickname was Xiao Pong Pong, which is like little, little fat boy. Mm. Um, oh, and I, it was always like that. my grandma used to call me that. Like my Aww. mom used to call me that. Cause I always love food. I used to eat dumplings all the time. So, oh, that's um, so sweet. it's like an homage to that. Aww. So Phew, I'm glad yeah. it was an endearing cute story. Cause as soon, <laughs> as soon as the question left my mouth, I was like, Oh no, that could have been traumatic. <laughs> like and, so traumatizing. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Oh, remember Brian? Do you remember um, when we had Chris Ying on the podcast? We Chris Ying and I went to China. I think I said this on the podcast. We went to China together, and he said everywhere we went, they would call him like this phrase, and it was like everywhere we went, I would hear people saying it to him. I was like, "Why do they all like call you? Like, what are they calling you?" And he said it was fat guy. <laughs> and I was like, "That was," so, oh, but he was like, "No, but it's like endearing." They're like, "Oh, they're, you're the fat guy," but it sounded like. They were almost like calling him friend, and I always thought that was like really sweet in a way. That's mm. so funny. Um, yeah, but uh, <sighs> to answer your earlier question, Young Me, uh, listeners, you can find me online at It's Brian Park. And what about you, Young Me? Uh, YM Mayor and Young Me Mayor on TikTok. And you can find our podcast on Feeling Asian Podcast everywhere. Please um, check out our Patreon for some bonus episodes. And we even have a YouTube channel. And yeah, that's it. That's it, everyone. Go uh, pre-order Frankie's book, First Generation. And yeah, that's it. If you listen this far, thank you. And we'll see you all here next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. So you made it to the end of the episode, which means it's time for me to do some Patreon shout outs. As you know, we have a Patreon, um, patreon.com slash feeling Asian. And you get a lot of bonus stuff if you give us money but the bare minimum is you get a shout out on the podcast and i'm going to shout out some of the wonderful people that gave our podcast money uh, starting with i'm <clears throat> sorry i was trying to make that as smooth as possible and i failed but starting with the first person that i'm going to shout out this week victoria edder victoria I, I always feel like victoria whenever i hear someone named victoria i feel like they're canadian but that's probably because is not that like a town in, in is that a town in Canada? I don't know whether it is or not. I feel like this person is Canadian. Um, I really hope that's right. And I don't know. Victoria just seems like a fancy name, right? This I bet this person's biracial. I have a biracial vibe, and I bet this person knows how to ski because. Canada has snow. I don't know. I've never been to Canada. Is that, are these unfair stereotypes? Do they have snow in Canada is the question. Victoria knows how to ski. They live in Canada. And I feel like they have like a dog, like a Pomeranian. That's the vibe I'm getting. Well, thank you, Victoria, for donating. Next is Alex Smith. Spelt interestingly, not like how you think. Alex Smith. Mm, I'm going to say that this is a somebody who is a has like sort of a boring job that's like the vibe i'm getting like something with writing like editing or something like that and you just like 
you know, you're, you have a passion for writing and this is not what you wanted to do, but you're doing it for money, which is, you know, understandable and valid. That's the vibe I'm getting. And I feel like this person has like a helmet haircut. Like the top is smooth, but the bottom is shaved. Tell me if I'm right. Next we have Boram Lee, Boram Lee. Um, oh, let's see, let's see. This, I feel like this person is an Asian person that lives somewhere that there aren't that many Asian people. That's the vibe, the energy I get from your name. And you, you love this podcast because it helps you connect with the Asian people that you do not live around. You know, I'm, I'm seeing like a, like a Montana Asian, you know, a Wisconsin, maybe a, maybe a, a, a rural Australia Asian, you know, somewhere out there, maybe a Lithuania Asian. I don't know. I don't know. Somewhere out there. You love the podcast for that reason. And one more fact, I, I think that you can't eat spicy food. I'm, I'm throwing that out there. You know, Asians who can't eat spicy food exist. So we also need representation. Not me, you. I can eat spicy food. Okay, next we have Michelle Wu. Michelle Wu sounds like a party time person to me. Is it just because the name Wu sounds like someone going woo? But um, I think Michelle Wu is a party time person. Maybe the vibe that I'm picking up from this name is that you work in some sort of like event PR sort of field. That's how I feel. Um, and I feel like you live in California my last guest okay and then the last person to to donate to our patreon and we love all of you is this week will be steven chen steven chen steven chen i bet i have a feeling that you're a dad you're you have some children on you but maybe an interesting relationship uh like status like maybe you're single like a single dad vibe maybe i'm just projecting because i i'm like flirting with you um I, but I, I definitely feel like you're a dad there's definitely kids in the mix what's my psychic vibe my psychic vibe is that you like something about video games i feel like video game programmer that's what i'm gonna go with thank you all again so much for donating and we will talk see you next week and hopefully um you know, continue to do episodes that you enjoy listening to. Bye.